right, folks, we're going to get into lesson 12 today, vengeance and blessing. So we're going to look at Isaiah 34 through 35. Now, as we look at this, I need to start out with helping you to understand something. So we're in the part of Isaiah that's known as the prophecies concerning the Assyrian crisis. Then in the midst of the book, there are going to be several chapters of narrative or history. Okay? And that actually starts uh, next week. And then the rest of the book is prophecies concerning the coming Babylonian crisis. Okay? Now... We're going to finish up today's section concerning the Assyrian crisis. Now, this would have been very relevant to the people who were reading or hearing Isaiah during his time because the Assyrians were an issue, okay? The Assyrians were a problem, and they were the threat. Babylon was not a threat. Babylon was a future threat, that would happen at the end of the southern kingdom when, ba when Nebuchadnezzar would come and destroy everything. So we're going to talk about this closing section of prophecy concerning the Assyrian kingdom. I mean, concerning Judah and Jerusalem and especially about the coming judgment. Now today especially we're going to look at something called vengeance and blessing. There's going to be a pronouncement of vengeance and then there's going to be a pronouncement of blessing. Now, when we talk about vengeance here, we're going to see that God is addressing his vengeance towards all of the nations. Now, I need you to understand that when you read Isaiah, well, let me ask you a question. Who's it written for? Anybody? Yeah, for Israel. Okay. So, it, so the nation, every other nation is who he's talking about the condemnation is on. Now, that's very hard, especially today in our, at this point in time in our culture, for a lot of Christians to grasp. Because a lot of times we put our patriotism, and there's nothing wrong with patriotism, you need to be patriotic towards your nation. In fact, as I meet with Christians from other nations around the world, they're very patriotic towards their nation, so that patriotism is not wrong, it's good. But when we equate our patriotism with our belief in Christ, that becomes a problem, okay? Now, what do you mean it becomes a problem, George? Well, the problem is sometimes you'll find believers that will think that our nation is exempt from the coming judgments. And so they'll read into it that this is going to happen to everybody else but America. Well, the problem with that is, who's it written to? The Jews, to Israel. And it's written 700 B.C. By the way, what's happening in Pennsylvania in 700 B.C.? We don't know. <laughs> we, we don't even, there's not even a Kerwinsville, okay? You know, even though Kerwinsville is older than Clearfield, it, there's, there's not even a Kerwinsville, all right? So we can't read in our nations. I guess that's the point I'm trying to make. Don't read in America into the text. To be honest with you, and you might not like what I'm going to say, the Bible's not concerned with America. 
It's concerned with one people only. Who's that? Israel. That's true all the way to the book of Revelation. Now what about us, George, the church? We share in the promises of Israel through Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, you wouldn't share in those promises. So we share in the inheritance and the promises. Okay, We are the wild olive branches, as Paul would talk about in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11, that have been grafted in. All right? So I just want to make sure we understand that because we're going to get into where he talks about the day of vengeance. Okay? The day of vengeance, and that's from Isaiah 34, verses 1 through 17. So let's take a look at this. First of all, the Lord invites all the nations and the peoples to hear, to listen to what he is about to say. So he's making distinctions here. He's talking about nations, that's, that, and, and that's not pronounced on borders. At, at this point, we're not talking about borders. Borders are more of a modern phenomenon. This is where people groups are and they coalesce in a kingdom, like the Assyrians and the Philistines and so forth. So those are nations, groups of people, and then all the peoples. So that's everybody of every ethnicity. He wants them to listen to what he's about to say. And what he's about to say is, we see it in, in verses 2 through 4, is that he's going to bring judgment on the whole world. Okay? It's going to bring judgment on the whole world. So God's wrath is against all nations and their armies. It's against all nations and their armies. Okay? The corpses of their dead will rot on the ground. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? So what he's saying is, is that when he comes and he destroys all the armies... And this is a picture that we see even in Revelation chapter 19 that the birds of the air will come. They're called to come and feast on the dead. There's not even going to be a proper burial for, the, for those who are killed in these armies. And, and here's what he says. The heavens and the stars will dissolve. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus, speaking of the end, says this in verse 29. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So even Jesus is referring to this disaster that's coming and and basically everything's going to change okay at that time when Jesus Christ comes back and he destroys the nations at the battle what we know as Armageddon okay he will everything will change the skies will be different than what you think all right so that's what we see here is the judgment that's pronounced. Now, when we get to verses 5 through 17, the prophet, for some reason, wants to focus on one particular nation, and that's Edom. Now, can, I, can anybody tell me who Edom is? Who is the founder of Edom? Esau. Who's Esau? Whose brother was Esau? Jacob, okay? 
they were twins. Do you remember? They were twin brothers. And Esau was actually the older brother, but he sold his birthright to Jacob. Jacob's name would be changed later to what? Israel. Okay. So this is the half, this is the brother of Israel, but there's a pronouncement that's, that's being made here. And here's what it is. The sword of God's justice will fall on Edom in judgment. Okay? So the sword of God's judgment will fall on Edom in judgment. God's judgment is a recompense for the cause of Zion. So it's basically God's judgment is going to be in retribution for whatever Zion, that's Israel, has experienced at the hands of Edom. Because of God's judgment, the land of Edom will be ablaze with sulfur. Okay? Now that would draw images of what place was destroyed by God in the book of Genesis and sulfur was involved with that destruction of a place. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, there were more than just Sodom and Gomorrah that were destroyed. There was other cities there that were destroyed as well. The land of Edom will be desolate for many generations. So it's saying that the land of Edom now, just so you like, where is the land of Edom, George? Okay, so if you were to look at a modern-day map, that would be, are you ready for this? Jordan. The nation of Jordan, okay? So, let's go on. The cities of Edom will be deserted and become the habitat of wild animals. And, in fact, that's what happens, isn't it? When humanity leaves, animals take over. Okay, and, and that's true even to this day throughout the Middle East and uh, North Africa. If you go to a desolate place where, where people once inhabited and there's just ruins there, what, what's left there? Animals, okay, just basic animals. So this will take place because the Lord has directed it to happen. Okay. Now, up to this point, we could say, okay, well, yeah, okay, he's predicting that this is going to happen, but who's really in charge of it? Ultimately, what we see here in this passage, as we see in other passages, who's the one who's ultimately in control? God. Now, sometimes we have a hard time wrapping our brain around that in a practical sense, but God is the one who's sovereign. So even right now, with the conflict that's happening in our world right now with Ukraine and Russia, who's ultimately the one who's in charge? God, okay? Is he shocked that that catastrophe happened? No, no, he's not shocked. He's not unaware. It didn't happen without his knowledge. You know, if you want to write down these references, Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 5. Daniel 4 is the vision that uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has. And remember where he goes crazy and lives in the, in the wilderness and eats grass and so forth. And then Daniel 5 is the writing, handwriting on the wall with Belshazzar. In both instances, one thing is mentioned there. It is God who sets up kings and takes them down. It is God who established kingdoms and he takes them down. It's something we need to remember, okay? 
something that we need to remember. And here we're talking about judgment and what's going to happen with Edom. And, and the Lord, in the midst of what he's saying here, is to saying, I have directed this to happen. I'm the one who's saying that this should take place. Okay? I'm the one who's directed this to happen. Now, let me ask you something. Let's, let's pause for a moment. Knowing that, what, that, what should that do for us on, a, on an everyday basis? Okay, commas. Okay. Why would you say that, John? Okay, so no he's in control no matter what's going on. It's for our good and his glory. Okay. Anybody else? Do you agree with John or do you have something, some other thought there? Do you want to add something to what John is saying? How does knowing... I mean, here we are, we're watching a judgment passage, and God's saying, I'm going to do this. I'm directing this to happen towards Edom. And, and what it's showing us is his sovereignty. What, what should that do for us? John's saying it should calm us. Anybody else got a, a thought? Yeah, Mike. Okay. All right, did you hear what Mike said? The outcome is going to be God's outcome, no matter what we think or feel about that. Okay? And so, therefore, what do we do with that as believers? What's that, Gene? We should be at peace and content with whatever happens rather than worked up. Do you know what I'm saying? Worked up. So, and is it easy to get worked up? Yeah, just turn on the news and you see a whole lot of people getting worked up. You know, and, and, and I can't speak for everybody else, okay? I can't speak for how the rest of the nation reacts to things. But should believers get worked up about the things that happen? Now, it's going to happen. You're going to get worked up. That's natural. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's good, Bruce. Did everybody hear what Bruce was saying? Yeah. So John's saying, so your you, people would ask, why is this bothering you? And, and, and it gives you the ability to say, I'm resting in God. Okay. What were you going to say, Gene? Well, you said yourself that when you can't control the situation, the other people are controlling out of it. Your reaction to it is my reaction to the situation. Okay. All right. That's good, Gene. Now, this is relevant to us. How do you mean it's relevant to us? Because right now we live in a very polarized political world. Would everybody agree with that? Okay. And every little thing, and, and, I've always been a news junkie, but what I've realized is sometimes the news pokes the bear. Do, do you know what I'm saying? It, the news has got this stick and it's poking the bear. And guess what? I'm the bear. 
Do, do you know what I'm saying? It's wanting to poke me into a reaction. And, and, and sometimes it'll cause the reaction. Oh, I can't believe that. What in the world's going on? Where is their head? Why are they thinking that way? Don't they know? Have they lost their minds? You know, and you just go on. And on. That's just in the car, okay? You know? Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, well, I'm not coming out of the den. I'm just going to stay in my car, okay? But here's the thing, and but yet, okay, my reaction, though, is multiplied in the church by many people, but they're not keeping it in the car. They're expressing it out loud on social media and, uh, and different places. Do you understand what I'm saying? And my guy didn't win the election. I've heard that for the last four elections now. Okay? At some point, you got to say, okay, God's in your control, Daniel 4 and 5. All right, Daniel 4 and 5, I'm going to rest in you. I'm not happy with the choice, but I'm going to rest in you. you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because ultimately, God is the one who's in control, right? And as believers, we need to rest in that. And, and of all people, should we not be the ones who have the bigger picture of what's going on? And what's the bigger picture, folks? God's in control, but what are we moving to? What, what's the bigger picture? What are we moving to? Y'all know the last chapter. Yeah, the return of Christ and the establishment of all, that's right. Now, in between, are things supposed to get better? No, we already know that they don't get better. Okay, yeah, we want, we want the rapture. Get me out of here before it gets really bad. You know what I'm saying? So, but we don't want it to be now. You know what I'm saying? We don't want it to be now. Which, by the way, think about that. Would the first Christians in the first couple of hundred years after Jesus, do you think that they had that attitude that we don't want it to be now? Or do you think they were saying, come Jesus? Because their focus was on who? Jesus. You know? I, I'll give you a... Th I, I was talking with another pastor this week. We had lunch or coffee and... Um, I, I was, he said something in our conversation that struck me. And that was, in the New Testament, whenever you ref hear an apostle or Jesus talk about heaven... It's always about being with Jesus. It's never about looking forward to seeing your lost loved one. Now, your lost loved one will be there. Okay, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. Your lost loved one will be there. But the focus in the New Testament is going to be with Jesus to be with who? Jesus. That's what their focus was. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? And see, sometimes I think we get distracted from what the main thing is. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And what's the main thing, folks? Jesus. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? 
because he's the one who wipes away every tear. He's the one who brings healing to you. He's the one that you're going to want to hang out with. Do, 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 do you know what I'm saying? And yes, and, and your loved one, he'll be excited that you're there, but he wants to be with Jesus too. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So that, that's, that's the perspective we need to have. And sometimes we lose that. And I think sometimes that's what we need to see in the scripture is hold on loosely to this world because in a passage like this where he talks about the day of vengeance, you know, I like Kerwinsville. Yeah, we maybe need to do a few things to spruce up the town a little bit, put a fresh coat of paint on something, but I like the area, okay? But one day, it's all going to be gone. And that's okay. Because I'm going to be in the new creation with Jesus. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? And that's, that's what's awesome that you and I need to see. In fact, that's what goes on when we get to chapter 35 now. In verses 1 to 10, it's going to focus on the day of blessing. So notice something. Scripture always is, here's the heavy. Boom. But to my elect, to my chosen to my people here's the hope there's also going to be a day of blessing so let's talk about that all right so first thing i want you to notice is again and i want you to remember it's going to be relevant to the people that he's writing to so where is israel is it in the tropics what I mean is is it in a jungle scene is it like a beachfront I mean yeah there is beach there but is that what you picture when you're in Israel? You know, lush green forests and, and you know what I'm saying? Nice maple trees, you know. Is, no, it's desert, right? Okay, so here's what he says. The wilderness and the wasteland will rejoice and be glad. So the land is going to be glad in the day of blessing. Okay? The land is going to be glad. Here's what it says. The wilderness will blossom with abundance. So what was barren is going to blossom now with an abundance. So for them, that's going to be, that's an amazing thing. That's something completely different than the world they live in right now. They shall see the glory and the excellency of our God. This, this is what blows my mind. This is always the promise. Okay, so let me just stop. Can anybody see God now? Why? Scripture tells you to see God means you would what? Die. Why? Because we're, we, we inhabit sinful bodies. But here is always the promise. So when you go to Revelation chapter 20, 21, 22, it says that God will be in our midst, his name will be written on our foreheads, and we will see God. Isn't that awesome? You're going to see God. Remember Moses, man, friend of God. I mean, interacts. And the, the, the request Moses has is, God, let me see you. And God says, no, I can't show you, but I'll let you see my backside. I'll walk by, and at the right point, you can look when I'm walking by and see my back. Do, you know what I'm saying? And wow, but... There is a time coming, we see the promise here, in the day of blessing, 
we'll see the glory and the excellency of God. Isn't that awesome? The glory and the excellency of God. Here's what else. God will come with vengeance and bring salvation. So again, he's going to come with vengeance to deal with those who need to be dealt with, but he's going to be what? Bringing salvation. Okay. This is where you and I have to remember. Do people do us wrong? Do business do you wrong? Do wrong judgments, are they made against you? Do they, do, yeah, I mean, stuff happens and you're like, who, who's there for the little guy? Isn't that what we talk about? Who's there for the little guy? Who's, who's going to make it right in my life? I'm going to tell you something, folks. The day is coming. Throughout Scripture, it talks about the day is coming and the reality. Again, Revelation, this is in the chapters 2 through 3, it talks about that he will make those who were opposed to us to come and bow to us and acknowledge who we are. Now, wow. He's the one who sets everything right. So guess that's why he tells you, leave it with me. You forgive. Don't seek vengeance. I'll take care of it. Well, the day's coming when he'll take care of it. And when he takes care of it, you're going to have what? Salvation. Salvation. Now you say, well, George, I'm already saved. I already have salvation. Yes, you have salvation, but you realize salvation is a threefold process. The first one is what we all claim is the day we got saved. We were justified. We were made new. We were forgiven. We entered into a relationship with him. The second part of the process of salvation is called sanctification, where you are continually being made new. You are changing. Who you are today is different than who you were last week, who you were 10 years ago in your faith in Christ, in your relationship with him. Why do you think Paul says in his epistles, we're to work out our salvation? What do you mean work out our salvation? What he's talking about is allow God to change you. And then the last phase, which is what he's pointing out here, is glorification. When you will go to be with Jesus, then you will ultimately experience the salvation in its fullness. Because why? You'll be completely transformed. You'll have a new body. The old sinful body that you and I have trained for years in sin. The scars that we carry. They'll be gone. Do you understand? And you will experience perfection. Do you know what I'm saying? Perfection. Perfection can't ha happen here. You know, I remember, you know, years ago, oh, I was a teenager. My dad needed a vehicle worked on, and we went down the road, just three or four miles down the road from where we lived. There was a guy who had a, uh, you guys call him an auto wrecker. Uh, I forget, it was just a junkyard, but he had a garage there, and we went in there. And uh, dad was there talking to him about fixing something on his truck. And this guy's wife came in, and she was of a Wesleyan denomination, very strict, hair in a honey bun. You understand what a honey bun is, okay? She, this, is, this is July in South Carolina, okay? July in South Carolina, that means it's hot and humid. She comes in with a dress on with sleeves down to here, Okay? And uh, she, we, we were talking about something, and somehow the conversation, I don't know what my dad and Lonnie were talking about. Lonnie was the guy who ran this place. 
And uh, somehow they got on spiritual things, and she said, I no longer sin. And my dad, who's not a but was not a Christian man, what? And her husband is sitting at the desk, he's laughing. And she says, you know I've reached perfection. And he's just breaking out laughing. She says, I no longer sin anymore. And he just laughs even harder. He, she said, those are not sins, those are mistakes. And that's the mindset. Sometimes you think there's groups out there that think you can reach perfection. You're not. Perfection comes when, folks? When you go to be with Jesus. And that's what it's talking about. God's going to bring vengeance. He's going to set everything right. And he's going to bring the ultimate salvation for every one of us. Okay? The ultimate salvation. Let's go on. Here's what he says. The weak and the fearful are, are to strengthen themselves. Strengthen yourself. Why? Uh, the reality is that you don't need to be afraid of the future. You know, when I travel overseas, and I haven't for the last few years because of COVID, and I interact with uh, believers who are in nations who are, their, their faith is a minority faith. So they, they're in nations where that they're just seen kind of as a minority and they're predominantly something, some other religion or whatever. And so they undergo persecution and so forth. I, I've always been amazed in the years of interacting with them. They never talk about the persecution. They never talk about the severity or the suffering they're going through as something unusual. We look at it as, oh my goodness, what's going on? This is unreal. They actually, I've learned, they view it as, you know what they view it as? Just part of the normal Christian life. They just view it as part of life. And if this wasn't happening, then there must be something wrong. Because why? They have their focus on God and what the future is. Not right now. So here we have Isaiah, the Lord through Isaiah, saying that the fearful, the weak, are to strengthen themselves. How do we strengthen ourselves? You strengthen yourself by putting your trust where? In God, no matter what happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? No matter what happens. And, and that's, that's the reality here. So here's what I want you to see now. The blind will see and the deaf will hear. That's what's going to happen. The blind will see and the deaf will hear when the Messiah comes. Remember I told you when we went through John, I said, you will not find anywhere in the Old Testament a passage describing the healing of a blind man, of the blind being made. So there is no passage there, but in Isaiah you have a promise that in the day, in the future, there will be a time when who will see? The blind will see. And guess what? That happens in John. Jesus heals the blind man. He's being interrogated by the Pharisees. Who is this guy? Tell him he's a sinner. How can he be a sinner? Has anyone ever heard of anyone being healed from the beginning of blindness? This has to be from God. 
They forgot their own scriptures. They forgot Isaiah. That God will be the one to do this. Okay? So the lame will leap and the mute will sing. This reality of Christ and the Messiah coming. And here's one. We kind of wonder about this, but let me remind you. Here it is. The barren will burst forth with springs of water and abundance will emerge. Now the barren, who's he talking about here? Who do you think he's talking about when he talks about the barren? Is he talking about the land? Take a guess. When we say someone is barren, what do we mean by that? Yeah, a woman who can't conceive. All right, so now picture yourself as an Israelite. An Israelite woman, what is the most important thing that you need to have happen in your life? You need to have children. Why? Because in their culture, the way the law was set up, they would have to have children to pass on their... Remember when we, we looked at this when we went through the narratives, the historical books, especially when we, when we got into the land, they re, Joshua onward, they received an inheritance. And they had to have children to pass their inheritance on, right? And to have a woman who was barren, that, that was a problem. Think about Hannah. Remember Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1? You know, her husband, because she couldn't bear children, marries another woman. She, of course, has children. That woman mocks her because you can't have kids. And, and her husband, poor guy, he's thinking, it's okay you don't have kids, but you have me. Like, that's really going to meet her need. Because what's going on with her is the standing in the community among the other women, among all the other family and so forth, of being able to have a child. That was important. So here comes God. He's making not just a promise that everything's going to be right, we're going to have salvation. He's not just saying the blind are going to see. He's not just saying the lame are going to walk. The mute are going to be able to speak. The deaf are going to be able to hear. He says to something that would be very real to every one of them, the barren will burst forth. The barren, the women who cannot have children, will what? Have children. And that would be hope for them. Because God would be the one to do that, okay? God would be the one to do that. Now, <clears throat> he also mentions here there will be a road that is called the highway to holiness. In that day, there will be a road that will be called the highway to holiness. And here's what it says. The unclean will not be allowed to travel on it. So obviously there's a road headed to the city. Jerusalem, and guess what? The unclean. Now, that picture of the unclean not being allowed on it, that's the same thing we see in Revelation where it talks about the new Jerusalem. It talks about those who were outside, who were in darkness, will not be allowed in. So it's, all, it's going to be a perfect place for God's people. Okay? Perfect place for God's people. And those that walk this road will not be led astray. You take this road, it's the right road to be on, okay? The right road to be on. 
there will not be any threat to those who walk along this road. Now, that would be relevant in their age. Okay, so let me just stop for a moment. How many of you are scared to hop on the Kerwinsville-Clearfield Highway every time you take it? You're just afraid that somebody's going to jump out of the woods and shoot your car up and rob you. Do we have that fear? I mean, when we end the service, 12 o'clock's going to roll on. Some of you who are from Clearfield, you're going to be heading back that way, and you're going to be taking that road, and you're going to be nervous because what's going to come out of the woods at me? Deer, but what about a robber? We don't live with that, right? They did in that age. The roads would be filled with what? Scoundrels, criminals, vagabonds who would be what? Seeking to attack you. Okay? In fact, isn't that the story of the, of the, uh, the, the guy, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan? He found a guy who was what? Beaten up on the side of the road, robbed. That was something they could relate to. Hey, I got to take a day's journey to Jerusalem. Be careful, because you don't know who's going to rob you or attack you. Well, here's what it's saying. On this road to holiness, this highway to holiness, there will not be any threat from those outside along the way. It's a secure road, okay? A secure road. Let's go on. Those who are ransomed by the Lord will travel it to Zion as they sing. So guess what? Ransomed by the Lord. Who's that? Who are those who are ransomed by the Lord? Yeah, believers. Who's that include? Yeah, Tim, us. So you're going to take this road, okay? You're going to be on this road. Isn't that awesome? You know? This is the road you're going to go on, all right? You'll travel, and guess what? You'll be singing as you go. Okay, I don't know the song, but you'll be singing, okay? Now, it will be a journey filled with joy and gladness as sorrows flee away. You know, as sorrows flee away. Next week, we're going to get into that historical narrative where the Assyrian crisis and all that they've been warned about is going to happen. 